Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. On today's Tennis Weekly Meets, we chat with the Lawn Tennis Association's competition manager Paul Cudmore about how they are growing the sport across the UK. Kim, I'm really excited for today's Tennis Weekly Meets as for the very first time we have the Lawn Tennis Association, the UK's national governing body for tennis, represented on the show right here, right now at Tennis Weekly HQ. Yes, I know. And we're very happy to welcome Paul, Paul Cudmore from the competitions team at the LTA onto the show this evening. Uh, Paul, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to join us to chat all things tennis. Uh, How are you doing this evening? Really good. Really excited to talk to you guys. Thanks. Excellent. Good answer. (laughs) Um, I imagine that, you know, we're in the kind of post-Wimbledon phase uh, of the year now. So how how is your kind of life now in in terms of work? Is it is it like the calm after the storm with the, you know, the the mania of Wimbledon? Yeah, I'd love to say so. Yeah, we, we sort of take about eight months off and then just ramp up again for next year. <laughs> I want your job. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds great. I'd love it if that was the case. Uh, no, if anything, we're, we're sort of busier now. Um, yeah, we've got masses to do behind the scenes and all through the junior um, pathway and the winter season that's coming up and going right the way through uh, gearing up for next year's events, as crazy as that sounds to say out loud. So it really is like a full... 12 months event it's not just kind of focused on the you know the great british summer i feel like that's what the event schedule is but for the the competitions team it's very much all year round yes quite so yeah the competitions team is yeah 365 24 7 um there's always something going on in every corner of the uk at every single level um and yeah we get about two weeks on tv where everyone um thinks we're working really hard but it's quite the opposite yeah before we go um, into kind of deeper questions, if you like, not too deep, but um, I wonder if you could just uh, explain to our listeners what your role is um, within the competitions like remit at the LTA. Yes, I'd love to. So I work in the competitions team. Um, there's, uh, I don't know how women, I think we've got about 17 or 18 guys in the team, guys and girls. And essentially we are responsible for all of the formal and informal competition um, that takes place at all ages and stages of tennis, really, across the UK. So everything from a sort of mini red competition um, through to recreational competition, which is where I sit within Team Challenge, where people of all ages, juniors and adults, can have an introduction into sort of the competitive side of tennis with you know loads of fun behind it, all the way up to on junior national championships and our national championships um, where, you know, some of the biggest names that you would have heard of have come through and, and have been sort of winners or runners up at that stage as well. So 
Um, we take care of all of that and I sit in that team and specifically my remit is more focused towards the recreational competition side of things. And when you talk about that, that recreational side, I always think it's interesting because there's, you know, juniors and adults. And I always think, you know, as a junior, you're more sort of naturally keen to get inside of the, the competition uh, side of tennis. Whereas at an adult stage, it feels a bit more, bit more casual. You know, you've not made it as a, you know, as a full-time professional. And actually, it's a bit more of a sort of a social gathering. You know, is there that awareness, I think, in the, in the competition scene that there's a different sort of flex that is needed as you get older and as you progress and your different, I guess, appetites to tennis? Yeah, absolutely. And it's something that's coming more into focus um, as we sort of, you know, we're in real time and moving forward. It's definitely the way that we're um, seeing things going and we are adjusting accordingly. Um, But yes is the short answer. You know, adults have got so many pulls on their time in terms of not just sports, but other commitments and life and bits like that. Um, But in equal measure, um, you know, going right to, if you to take it to an extreme, if you're just hitting the ball against the wall, you're not going to sort of um, stay that interested for a, for a long time. So having, it's a bit of a oxymoron, but having recreational competition where it might not ladder up to playing on centre court, um, but it's still for points and for a, you know, air quotes, win or loss as a competitive match is really important because it gives you on that Tuesday night at seven o'clock, you're on your own sort of centre court final for those 90 minutes or so. And then obviously you can go back to regular life, but then you've got a reason to come back and play in the future as opposed to just sort of having to make your way down to your park and, and play for, you know, just the sheer love of the game. Do you feel like you need like that end thing, like competition or a match in order to get more people involved? It's not just sort of going down to the park and having a hit and a rally and it, it ends there. It was there sort of a decision to make sure that there was a competition element because ultimately that is what is most compelling to people. It's not just having a rally, but it's, it's having a rally to an, an end goal. And that's what I guess keeps people coming back to, to the tennis court. Yeah, I think there's, I mean, there's, there's countless research, not just in tennis, but across sport, that competition of some degree is what drives long-term participation because it gives you, you know, some skin in the game, as it were. Um, equally, you know, there's, there's some, there has to be something for everyone. And maybe you do not like competition of any facet, recreational or otherwise. And maybe you need the opportunity to just go and have a hit or you want to get involved in something a little bit more formal, like a tennis express or a cardio tennis, where it's kind of tennis, but fun or fitness based. Um, and so we work in those areas as well, but there is, you know, the knowledge from our side and I'm probably a little bit biased sitting in the competitions team, but. I guess if, if you try and scale it back to everything, sitting around a family dinner table, um, you know, playing Monopoly, it gets everyone going just because there's a little bit of just for that 20 minutes, you know, maybe a little bit too much, actually, in the case of Monopoly. But um, there's, there's something on the line for those 20 minutes and that makes it maybe a little bit more fun or meaningful. I hope that um, people going to play tennis, I hope their arguments aren't as, as bad as the Monopoly arguments you get around the dinner table. <laughs> They're probably worse. They're that. probably worse. <laughs> Channeling Nick Kyrgios, maybe. Um, <laughs> but I understand, Paul, that your background is, is in football, like you used to work for the FA. So yes. um, you've done, obviously, a lot of, like you just alluded to, research that's been done across all sports. But what have you brought across to tennis that you might have picked up in your time within football were you doing a similar role 
at the FA? So I was working at the Surrey County FA and it was okay. predominantly within um, club development. Um, so a little bit different, but there was, a, there was some crossover with the work I did at the LTA where you're looking at the latent demand within the sort of player base and what is going to drive participation and equally what's going to help clubs thrive and survive for the future. And some of that is around the products and programs they offer and some of it is more sort of structural. So there are definitely some... Um, crossovers but it's um I was thinking about this coming into this conversation and it's it's I hadn't appreciated how stark the difference was given the I think in football there's um you're spoiled you know you're really really spoiled you get you know three six five coverage of probably the best example of football competition in the world streamed to our tvs and every pub um you know going with the Premier League and FA Cup and the World Cup and the Euros and the visibility and um, the sort of fanfare that goes with that is amazing. And obviously tennis doesn't get that for, for different but valid reasons. So I think in, in football, you're really, really spoiled. And maybe your challenges are a little bit different. Whereas in tennis, obviously awareness and visibility are probably up there with some of the biggest challenges. So it's quite different. And how they cross over, I don't quite know at this point. Because it's quite also, I think with tennis, it can be really unpredictable in terms of those those moments you get that, that can bring people into the sport I always think Emma Raducanu winning the US Open last year no one really could have predicted that but a real sort of big moment you would think for you know getting people involved in, in tennis at a grassroots level in the UK the fact that kind of the the tennis season is sort of centered around a grass court season in the middle and yes we sometimes get Grand Slam champions or players do well at, at tournaments, um, you know, either side of it. Do you feel like there's an added pressure there, given that, you know, football, I feel like, is on, like, every waking second of, of the day in the UK, we could consume it and hear about it. Is there an act, act, active pressure or, or obstacle with tennis, given that the window, it does feel relatively shorter? Yes. Yeah. That's a, that's a classic, uh, almost a classic interview question, isn't it? Where <laughs> it's, it's a huge challenge, but a massive opportunity. Um, very, if you look at, you know, any top flight Premier League team, you get these moments, as you've said, where players will just do something fantastic and, you know, almost like viral clip worthy every single week. But, you know, none of them, relatively speking, if you equate that into tennis terms and, and Emma specifically, you know, she was a, you know, a team, wherever you want to put her, way down the ladder, who who came from nowhere and inside two weeks, she won the FA Cup. So while their moments are fleeting and few and far between, the highs are just spectacular. So that's a massive opportunity and a, and a bonus for tennis, but it is, uh, it does come with its challenges. It's harder to capitalise on. It's much, much harder to plan for. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's a very different challenge. And have you seen since Emma won the US Open last year? Have you seen like an increase in people using you, you know all the products that kind of you look after and the local tennis leagues and things like that? Have you seen a, a boost since that time? We definitely have. the The, inc- the interest in um, you know women and girls is always on the rise, and you know Emma's success has been a huge part of that over the last twelve months. Um, and she's actually involved in some of the programs that we directly deliver to uh, not just girls, um, but also boys in the youth um, section of the LTA strategy that we work on. Um, 
but but yes, it, it's hard to see the, the results immediately. But there's no doubt that um, having success at the highest level with such a relatable figure as well, it's not as if she's a career seasoned professional. You know, she's broke onto the scene. She's very young, and then immediately has um, you know unbelievable success. So we're definitely seeing that. But what we really want to do um, is capitalize on that and ensure that it's just not a momentary ripple that it's more of a sort of wave that continues into the future and you talk about capitalizing on on success i think you alluded to the different sorts of, of programs you have and i think what's amazing about you know tennis in, in the uk and particularly with british tennis i didn't actually realize how many different types of programs there are i think to get involved in tennis it's not just like you could yeah as i said look turn up on a court and play you know and play with your mate there are lots of lots of different ways i think for me the one i'm most excited about um you know going forward is is paddle which has come into the it's come into the uk it's been big you know in europe particularly in like countries like spain i mean how how important is it i think to have different sorts of programs to show that tennis which i think you know in the past arguably has been seen as a little bit elitist and you know is associated with with clubs with high membership fees and is is actually quite inaccessible how important has it been to make sure that it is opened up as much as possible it's been huge i mean that that is literally the um the vision um of our sort of five-year strategy tennis opened up is, is what we look at every single day on the walls as we walk in. And Paddle has been a massive part of that. It is so unbelievably fun. And you're talking to someone, like you said, who's come from a football background and doesn't own a tennis racket, I'm ashamed to say. And I've played more Paddle in the last six months than I've done <laughs> anything else. It is ridiculously fun. Um, and it's so accessible. And there's, you know, um, this, is, <clears throat> this is a great example of where... Um, the public sector and the private sector are combining. Uh, there's various private sector companies who are coming in and helping clubs and community centres and various other organisations to fund and build paddle courts in a commercial partnership approach where they'll be tied together for X amount of time until the fees are repaid. Uh, but it's a fantastic approach because it, it gets rid of that initial need for millions and millions and millions of pounds from you know uh, clubs etc who perhaps don't have that in reserves as a way of bringing the sport to the public at you know accessible venues at accessible prices with you know just ridiculous amounts of fun um, and it's all doubles so you get the great social element there's all walls around it and again speaking to someone who is not the best at tennis that's a massive plus because you don't lose the ball and spend half your time running down the road to get it <laughs> yeah I've um I, I'm not much of a player myself Joel's kind of completely different so I I, I definitely see the appeal of of paddle and I, I've played I think it I think I played it once a couple of years ago and it was I was in stitches like laughing yeah you're completely correct it was just such I uh, was in stitches for different reasons Kim I think what? my fitness was oh, uh, right. <laughs> not particularly great um I mean you mentioned the five-year strategy Paul could you perhaps like elaborate a little bit more on um what what else i mean assuming it's not a top secret um fair enough if it is but yeah could you just sort of tell us a bit more about what else you're working on over the next five years yeah i mean um it's definitely not top secret you can delve into all of this even <laughs> Great. more. I'm, I'm sure if you need some bedtime reading it'll be available on the <laughs> lta's website somewhere um 
Yeah, we're nearing the end of it. It's, we're in the last couple of years and there's been a huge amount of work that's already gone. But to come, um, there's a huge investment and this is, you know, massive. And off the back of Emma's win really at the US Open, it has unlocked a huge amount of uh, funding available through um, DCMS and Sport England to rejuvenate and uh, do up essentially a huge amount of park courts nationally. And we're in the throes of... Um, scoping out and working with various partners to over the next 12 to 18 months renovate hundreds if not thousands of park courts nationally and that will be the jewel in the crown really of the last five years where we're truly opening tennis up and bringing it into um, or reintroducing it into areas where it has been or hasn't been in the past or where facilities just aren't even playable and now you'll be able to going back to our previous comment around it, is it formal competition that is for you or is it literally just going to the park and playing tennis? Um, our aim is to have something at every level. And this next 12 months is really going to flesh out that part where a huge amount of people who previously haven't had access to it are going to be able to just turn up to their local park five minutes around the corner and have a great hour on the court and then go home and do something else. Yeah, the, the role of the park is so fascinating because I feel like it is really been emphasized because of the pandemic when we were at home we hadn't had we didn't have anything really to do except go to our local park and walk around it uh, for our for our fitness and what was you know you talk, spoke about the, the five-year strategy I mean I imagine there's been obviously some some bumps in the road and I think about the you know the pandemic and you know how you know that was an interesting time for for I guess the LTA and for tennis because Yes, it did put everything, quote unquote, on lockdown. But at the same time, you know, it was, again, a big opportunity, it felt, for tennis because it was one of the first sports that was you were able to play because it is so naturally socially distant. Yes, yeah. It feels funny to sort of claim that as like a, a bonus of tennis. <laughs> the most socially distant sport. <laughs> I think, yes, it was either tennis or at one point there was discussion around, was it golf? If you were the only mm. player on a hole, you were sort of 600 yards from the nearest human, which <laughs> felt great, but also really sort of antisocial at the same time. Um, but yeah, it, it was. It definitely was. And there's no two ways about it. It was definitely a great opportunity to spotlight tennis, probably for all the wrong reasons. Um, but equally, we hope we did a great job of it. And you're right, the parks... Um, got a sort of uh, a sort of pre-showing as to their importance, where it it sort of maybe um, aside from Park Run, which is obviously a, a global phenomenon, maybe it sort of um, uh, re-cemented this idea that they can be the hub of a community for various things, and and socially exercising might be part of that. Um, and obviously, tennis historically has been a part of that, and perhaps has waned through funding and upkeep of courts and obviously it's a huge opportunity for us to 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 sort of regenerate the amount of courts that we've, we're going to have access to over the 12 months i mean is the ambition to you spoke about park run is it like you want is, does tennis want to be up there as known for why do you go to the park go and play tennis because it feels like you know what five years ago or, or so the park situation wasn't particularly wasn't particularly great or it felt like there was a lot more opportunity opportunity there what's the big sort of vision for you know how parks can can focus in and how do you integrate that as well into potentially finding the next Andy Murray or, or Emma Raducanu because I feel like it's a completely different pathway versus yeah. going in from a club being spotted by you know your coach or 
you know being drilled or what or whatever what's the how do you how do you kind of associate bringing something that is much more i guess in the public sphere and then connecting it into a more performance gateway yeah i mean those are some massive questions and i'm going to be careful how I've answered this. so first to say um i think probably as with every other sport including ngbs it would be it, it's great to have the ambition of parkrun and to be as ubiquitous in a sense in your own sphere of the world or your own corner but to say that we're going to be the park run, that's definitely not what I'm saying, because as I said, you know, that, that is a one of one. That is just an absolute global phenomenon. Um, and I, th- I don't think anyone should aspire to, to replicate what they've done. <laughs> Otherwise, that's a sort of fool's errand. However, with local tennis leagues, and that is for adults of any ability over the age of 18 to meet and play other people of a similar, but crucially of a similar ability, predominantly based in parks nationally we've got about 200 leagues nationally um and we play about 50 60,000 matches across all of those um the, the ambition is really to have a, a lofty expectation that if an adult was to be in a park the expectation of that person at that moment would be to look around and say which you know what area of this park should I play my local tennis leagues match in now, obviously, that is, you know, that, that is incredibly lofty, but we like to sort of aim for, you know, what's the saying? Shoot for the shoot for the moon if you're missing the stars or something like that. It's, um, you know, we, we want to set a lofty ambition. It would be amazing if we could get to the stage where you could visit your local park and there's just the sort of underlying expectation that I should be able to play tennis here, however that looks, in the same vein that you can rock up to most parks and understand that there'd be a park run there or very, very, very close by. So in that sense, having having that end goal of a park run where there's the expectation, um, that's where we want to get to. And as I say, with local tennis leagues, you know, we're, we're a long way towards that, a couple of hundred leagues nationally, probably, you know, 2,000 venues that, that host matches. And over the next 12 months, we're looking to, you know, double that. So there's going to be access to thousands and thousands more people nationally. And then to the second part of your question, um, how do we tie that to the next Andy Murray or the performance pathway? Um, I don't, honestly, I don't think we do. I think we're able to wear more than one hat. And I think we need to do a fantastic job of bringing tennis to the masses where, where the masses are, and those would be parks, um, and the matches they want to play, whether it's tennis cardio or tennis express or local tennis leagues, or if they want to do a sort of coaching program for 12 weeks and then enter something. But equally, there's a completely separate part of the business that we obviously work closely and hand in glove with, but they need to be focused on what they do and um, and finding the next Andy Murray or Emma Raducanu. And then maybe there's some natural crossover where the profile of each of those helps the other. Um, and I think if we all do, you know, a rising tide and all that... Um, but I don't really think there's a natural crossover where someone is going to do an Ian Wright really and to go back to my football days and sort of walk onto a Hackney Marsh tennis court and end up playing in the fourth round at Wimbledon. It's it's like that film Wimbledon with uh, Paul Bettany yeah. sort of went on a you know dream run. I mean that was kind of a bit different, but we we like to mention that a lot on this podcast. Oh. Um, it's like a retro. I don't know noughties rom-com um but yeah going back to tennis Paul um I suppose 
I, I really like the idea of the way you were saying it's like would hopefully become an expectation that people would go to the local park and they'd have that like their level has been raised they just kind of would hopefully assume that there would be somewhere to play tennis um after all of this investment and like changing that culture from the ground up I guess but is it also partly the more adults that you can get playing now like like competing in local tennis leagues and whatnot you know their like future generations their offspring if they kind of grow up in that that environment where their parents are going off to to play tennis twice a week with their mates that's just going to hopefully filter down to like their kids and and you know so on rather than it being like oh you only start playing tennis if your mum's a tennis coach or a member of a particular club is that also like an impetus behind the you know trying to get more more competition going as well yeah the, the drop off in sport across the board is obviously a big concern you know it's it's a open secret there's a huge unnecessary drop off in the you know sort of 14 to 18 or 19 range uh, particularly amongst females um why do you think that is oh yeah i mean it's it's a it's a well trodden it's a it's a commonly asked question and unfortunately the the answers are probably nothing bigger than the obvious it's other lifestyles and other lifestyle choices and other opportunities become available at those ages. Um, and if we're being brutally honest, maybe the offer that we, you know, I said earlier that football was spoiled, maybe um, the offer that, that we put out a sport more generally um, is a bit spoiled in that maybe, you know, after school clubs and to some extent pre-14, the parents are in charge so the kids do what they're told. Um, and maybe they reach an age where there's some autonomy involved and the offer just isn't quite good enough and, and they choose to do other things. And that's a job for us to do and get better at, which is what we try and do every day where, you know, how can we sell tennis to a 15-year-old who might have different uh, interests elsewhere? And we would contend, and obviously we're a little bit biased and hopefully you are too, guys, but the offer really is worth taking up it's just that we perhaps aren't packaging it the right way and then to your point kim you know as a lifelong sport and i'm going to mention this a few times but as a ex-footballer don't get too excited i wasn't much good um but you know don't worry i i tell myself i'm an ex-tennis <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, but at the age of you know whenever you know 32 33 you know everything starts to break you just go backwards whereas tennis really is a cliche but tennis is a sport for life and it's not something that we lean into hard enough. And if you can get through that age uh, of drop-off and you can keep playing, you really can keep playing. You know, there's, I've got countless ex-football friends who don't do anything now because we've gone past 32. Whereas tennis players, you can still have all of the benefits, not just the physical, but all the social benefits, all the cognitive benefits, all the lifestyle benefits of you know, regularly competing, whatever that means to you in tennis, you know, well into the late stages of life, because there's always something that you can do at relative, you know, ease on your sort of physicality. Um, and, and like you say, hopefully then that translates down to kids and offspring and spouses as they're coming through that really that is a path to an area of their life. Is it they're after some social, is it they're after some physical, um, you know, that that is a thing. Whereas at the minute, I think we're being outsold by Zumba or size or whatever the fad for the moment is. Yeah, I think it's it's so tough because it's just so competitive out there, it feels like, between tennis and other sports. I always think that we're such a 
sport crazy nation that you know i i would like to think tennis is is number one and a priority for lots of people but the reality is that there's just so much out there that is that could potentially take someone away from from tennis that it makes it hard and you know a real challenge i think to have that consistency across all the different age groups to make it compelling and that's why as you said i feel like you need to have be able to package it up differently at different times in order just to keep people motivated i mean just talking about something that caught my eye recently the itf world tennis number which i you know i i I grew up as a junior i had an lta rating but i i've never had a world tennis number i mean could you just talk to us a little bit more about that because it sounds very interesting to me because of the fact that it's got world in it it's not just the uk yeah um what you know what is that just a, like a new LTA rating equivalent or how does it kind of fit in into the whole global landscape? Uh, I'm glad you asked. It's a, it's a great question. And um, it's a, it's a really exciting project. Where can I get mine? What number would mine be? Oh, Probably you'd be, down, right? you know, if I'm a, I mean, it's, it's a one to 40 scale. Okay. Uh, by the sounds of Kim's uh, appraisal of you, you'd be somewhere close to a, at least a 36. <laughs> if that if that's the case i'm putting kim at 39 <laughs> i think i'd be about i'd be off the scale I think. <laughs> it's a 1 to 40 scale you'd be 43 yeah don't you'd be right alongside me kim don't worry about that oh great <laughs> um it's it's a to, to answer your question it is a rating it is to replace the old air quotes lta rating um but the reason the word world is in there, the ITF have been quarterback in this and have brought in, I don't even know the number. It grows by the day, so I don't want to put a number on it. But it's, you know, in, you know, it's over, I think it's well past 60, maybe over 100 nations are involved now, um, including um, two of the three Grand Slam nations. So the USTA and the French are involved. And it's a collaboration across you know, all of those tennis federations to try and unify what is the number where I can go to the Netherlands and play someone and I can find someone, arguably in a local park court, right down to a formal competition and find someone to play with who is of an appropriate standard. That is the core driver of it rather than the other way of sort of how can I, air quotes, improve my number. The main the main um, aim of the programme was to how can we accurately represent your standard of uh, play or skill or however you want to term it so that you are more in control of how you play tennis whether that is entering a formal competition or actually I want to play a local tennis leagues and I don't know anyone in my area and I want to sign up but I want six to eight fantastically close matches which probably means you win some you lose some um, rather than you know being such a one-on-one game, as you, you both know, if you're, you know, five or 10% better than your opponent, it's going to be love and love either way. You know, you're either going to win or you're going to lose. Um, and so the World Tennis number has been in the works for about four years with some of the, I mean, brightest minds at the most well-known academic universities in the UK um, and is powered by an unbelievably sophisticated algorithm which takes into account a variety of factors, including, you know, results and ongoing results and results that you can submit yourself to in a point and then 
other results that come in from formal competitions and various other questions that you answer at the point of sign up. Um, and it, it has drastically improved the accuracy of our understanding of where players sit on the sort of um, skill level, as it were. And you spoke about it's, you know, there's been links there to like the USTA and the other sorts of tennis federations. Just thinking more broadly about participation in, in the UK competitions. I mean, do you have any insight into how we're kind of set up versus other tennis playing nations like the United States in terms of how they are set up and, and the similarities, but also the differences in terms of their pathways and how they work to generate champions because i don't feel like the 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 usta their park strategy for example would be as big as the you know the the lta strategy so i don't know if you have any insight around the the different sort of makeups of of those structures globally around the world yeah it's interesting because yeah everyone does approach it slightly differently and yet there's probably you know if if it was a venn diagram you're really overlapping by like 90 percent we we commonly see a lot of and it's you know it's quite um, heartening i guess in one sense um we all face a lot of the same challenges and we approach it more or less in a similar vein and then you get your variations where perhaps you know maybe maybe society or like cultural influences have an impact so you know we obviously have quite a legacy in this country specifically around all the victorian parks um which was a, a moment in culture, in time, which is then translated through to things like parkrun and um, tennis being in parks, et cetera, just through the way that those were built. And perhaps that wasn't there in the US, but they have maybe a slightly different nuance. Um, they have, you know, a huge amount more national championships than we do, for example. So perhaps you could argue that that drives a, a different agenda or maybe a different subset of players or a slightly different um, crop, if you like. Um, so yeah, there, but, but broadly speaking, the, there's more similarities than there are differences. Um, and I, I don't know, I, I get the sense that you're perhaps angling onto like, how does that, how does that ladder up to the professional game? Is that kind of where you're going? Yeah. Cause as I said, I think it's different. And I think, you know, for me, what's, what's interesting is that in the UK, I always, I like to think about, you know, Cam Norrie, you know, went to, you know, United States to play tennis uh, yeah, collegiately and I see a lot of British talent um, you know go down go down that route and I always I wonder what you know why that is in terms of they don't stay in the UK do they feel it's not good enough for them or or they feel like they can get better level of talent to face off again if they go to a, a bigger country or a bigger pool of players like in in the United States I just thought it was interesting that there's for me in the UK it feels like yes you could be in tennis from a really young age and come through the you know the the full system like maybe a, a Kyle Edmund has but certainly there's also that scope that players do break off and they can still come out at the very very top yeah I, I honestly don't know it's probably slightly outside of my area of expertise and but it's a really good question I, I I'm also fascinated by the other factors that might might not impact this I know for example they did a huge study around this but again sorry to drag it back to football um both of you football listeners out there are really going to appreciate this one <laughs> <laughs> um when when spain when the spanish national team were having their you know immensely successful period over the sort of 2008 2012 sort of window there was various studies done as to the sort of style you obviously had barcelona who were also in their pomp 
and that sort of style of tiki-taka football. And one of the interesting insights that someone came out with in one of the more sort of prominent books was um, the other sports that they play at school level. And one of the main sports that is the sort of air quote second sport in Spain is uh, basketball. And if you think about the junior pathway for football, it's actually futsal, which is a indoor five-a-side version of football where the ball is slightly weighted so it stays on the floor and is more geared around skills and close contract close control so you've got basketball which is five-a-side indoor tight spaces where you learn those tactics of how to manipulate a ball and then you've got futsal which is essentially a carbon copy of the game but the ball is on the floor just not in your hands so you know if you look at you know the kind of 10,000 hour rule they're getting way more hours of that idea of working in small units to try and get a ball into a net whereas perhaps we play football rugby and cricket and tennis and it's hard to see where the natural overlap in those lie and in the US I know there's a big push around uh, volleyball for example so then you've got tennis and volleyball and there's obviously some similarities there. So whether or not it's the programs or whether or not it's uh, the volume of players or whether or not it's sort of social or cultural impacts that have, you know, sort of untold esoteric effects on these things. I'm not quite sure, but equally, I'm not sure that anyone knows really. Yeah, I think it's interesting you mentioned like, you know, people growing up playing lots of different sports because actually I think you find that a lot of the top tennis players when they were younger, they they could have gone down various pathways and become professional skiers or, or footballers. So I suppose it's a lot to be said for not just sticking to one sport. I still think Nick Kyrgios wants to become a professional basketball player at some point, given, <laughs> given the amount he talks about yeah. it on social media. Yeah, it definitely seems his vibe, doesn't it? Uh, but <laughs> um, no, I mean, just just one thing as well with the UK. Obviously, the weather is is a big issue. I would imagine. You know, we're talking about going off to the park, but. Um, most of those courts are going to be outdoors. So what is your kind of challenge? I mean, obviously, I imagine it would be a challenge for, for the winter months, especially to keep that participation going when the weather is just horrendous. Um, I, I don't know how many like indoor court facilities we have that are actually like accessible to the general public. But how do you kind of strategize differently for for poor weather conditions yeah i mean you hit the nail on the head not enough is the is the answer um uh we we definitely strategize differently and because parks are cheaper than indoor facilities aren't they they definitely in my, are, yeah. in my head yeah and, and um you know you one of the questions that we spoke about sort of uh, offline was the differences or the similarities between football and tennis and that's definitely one of them if you just think about literal real estate you've got 100 yards by 50 yards and you can accommodate what like 30 guys and you can do it multiple hours a week whereas you need a similar sort of real estate to accommodate two people for an hour and a half or whatever and if you really want to scale that up and, and service a huge amount of tennis players you know you need swaths of land and millions in the bank to enable you to put roofs and lights and heat, etc. So it's a real challenge. Um, and we do a great job of facilitating competitions. As I said, it's 365. So for juniors, especially having a, a whole winter calendar where they can find competitive opportunities through the winter, mostly at undercover or indoor courts. Um, but it is definitely hard. If you're, a, if you're those park players who during the summer can play, 
and all of a sudden you can't get into your local tennis center over the winter, yeah, it's going to be a problem. You, you're either going to have to brave it or, you know, find something else to do. And you know, that's, that's probably where you see some of that drop off. And with someone something like a you know local local tennis leagues is that all is that all year round in the sense that you can you can do it in the summer but it's also open in the in the winter if you can get to if you can get to a court and 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 play on it and, and your uh, and your opponent is is happy to do that as well yeah 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 we we kick off around about um, the second or third week of January and the last round of the year launches um, probably around October time mid-October and so it takes you up to you know near enough right into December um, for those hardy folk I, I had this whole um, sort of thought experiment around driving um, you know a huge awareness around everything like orange and grips you know could we get like a good year involved with tennis shoes for example and have like studs on your shoes etc um, <laughs> I was swiftly talked down within the office so. <laughs> I thought you were going to say uh, uh, tennis shoes with uh, ice, ice skating blades on them <laughs> that yeah. would be different wouldn't it tennis not hard ice. Enough, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean just going back to local tennis leagues obviously a lot of our listeners um, may want to start playing and you know they've been inspired by this conversation and and Wimbledon and, and everything. Um, so could you just sort of give a first level kind of um, like how do people get involved um, if they want to start playing like tomorrow and, and get started? Yeah, local tennis leagues is a great option for that. It's a level-based play. So you can sign up without knowing anyone or indeed without even knowing where to play in your local area. Um, if there's a league running, all of that is provided for you on the website. So just head to localtennisleagues.com. You can search with your postcode and it will show you all the leagues available to you in your area. And you can sign up as a one. You have to have a, coming back to your point, Joel, around WTN. um, And that's free. And you get your WTN. And that just enables us to, like I said, place you in a group of probably six to eight players of a similar ability so that you can go and have appropriate matches and, and whatever that standard is brilliant or my level completely awful but as so long as it's you know six three six four in either direction then that's great fun um and so yeah localtennisleagues.com search with your postcode you just need to you create an account which is free and then you can opt to join a round which is like a mini season they last for about eight weeks and do you get access to the Wimbledon ballot, did, did you say? I think you we... do, yeah. As, as, a, as, a, as a perk of joining local tennis leagues, by virtue of the fact that you need a WTN, you can sign up for your LTA advantage. Um, and the particular tier that you get access to by being a local tennis leagues player is the Play Plus tier. And within that tier of membership, which again is free, you go into the... Uh, Wimbledon ballot for next year which is which is sort of running proper again as of next year um, given that you've played within the last 12 months so it's a fantastic benefit which is normally reserved for members at sort of paying members at clubs so going back to your point around how we're moving into parks um, in the future you know parks players air quotes you know local tennis leagues players are receiving the same sort of perks as it were from the LTA that you know, members that paid for clubs are as well. Yeah, that's that's interesting how you're looking to bring parks to a level that they are running alongside clubs because I think, you know, when I, I certainly was growing up, the the thought of playing in my local park was a real 
it wouldn't have really kind of occurred to me it would have it would have been more kind of you know if i wanted to play tennis it would be signing up for membership annual membership at my local club so it's fascinating to hear how you know with your the five-year strategy park strategy how you're really elevating the um you know the appeal of of parks tennis and bring it into a, a conversation where it's alongside alongside uh local tennis clubs mm-hmm. paul thanks so much for coming on we can't let you go without a few listener questions from our tennis weekly fan base oh, wow so we've got a couple for you so i'm gonna go first um we did have a question from suzanne on email and she asked me what's the one thing you think that tennis could do better in the uk to increase participation just one thing just Just one one thing just one thing off the top of your head (laughs) what could tennis do to increase participation in the uk (laughs) by doing one thing one thing put a tennis court in every single park nationally perfect well I, i can't disagree with that <laughs> after everything we've been discussing do you have any idea what percent at the moment is would you say tennis tennis courts in parks are in in the uk oh, do, do we even know a number on it yeah i mean there's tennis to courts and there's tennis courts some of them are bordering on you know life-threatening and some of them are you know newly laid um i do know that through through the work that we're doing you know we're targeting you know, hundreds of parks some of which will have multiple courts you know so there's high hundreds if not in the thousands of individual courts that we're looking to regenerate perfect i mean yeah obviously you're you're in the right place to to be getting on with that work to you know it's only going to improve isn't it so um just one more question from our listeners as well um paul we had one from dan um who's asked and i don't know i mean I don't know if you know we're talking about your your level um, of tennis ability, but they've said which current or former player would you like to face off against on a tennis court? <laughs> which well, I, I definitely think it would be a former player. <laughs> Give yourself um, more of a chance. Yeah, I need like the world number one thousand from nineteen seventy four. If any of our listeners know who that is, I'd be very impressed. <laughs> yeah, either either that person or obviously, um, you know. Roger Federer because just the way that he moves and hits the ball is I think he's just unlike any other tennis player and to stand across him and have every single one of my shots swatted away for a perfect point would be awful and you know absolutely demoralizing but on some level probably quite enjoyable (laughs) yeah no great answer um and just one last question um this is um nothing to do with tennis you'll probably be relieved to know um it's uh, something we ask all our guests and um it's about tea because you know we love our tea here at the here at tennis weekly so basically it's just how how do you take your tea do you drink tea or are you more of a coffee person if you do drink tea, what's your what's your tea of choice? Yeah, so I've got I've got kids, so yeah, I'm just on like any time that anyone mentions coffee, I'll take three <laughs> of them. But if I am drinking tea, and it's this is a tea question, I'm quite a fan of the pucker teas. Are you guys a fan of pucker teas? Ooh, yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Good for the, uh, what's the chamomile? Is it chamomile and manuka? Oh yeah, I've got some of that at home. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, that's the one for me. Yeah, excellent, excellent choice. Yeah, I love. Um, you know we we sort of sometimes expect people to just be like oh just builders whatever but a lot of yeah a lot of our guests are they really go to town with like niche tea so <laughs> I, love it I thought answer. you were gonna say green tea I thought you were gonna be another green tea 
come about. We've had a few a few guests on the on the show who've, who've been a real green tea advocate. I think you're the first though who's been a, a pucker tea advert. Yeah. I would I would definitely for a, for a long while I was on green tea, um, but that was until. I had a puck of tea and everything changed for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice one. <laughs> well, Paul, it's been great having you on the show to talk about all things Lawn Tennis Association, competitions, the park strategy. It's been very, very interesting. You, of course, are part of running local tennis leagues. Once again, how, how do people get involved if they want to you know, feel compelled, they feel inspired after Wimbledon, they want to get get out there, but maybe they don't want to sign up for full membership at a, a tennis club. How can they How can they do that? Yeah, so I'd say two things. Uh, if you want to come and play local tennis leagues, definitely do it. It's for people who want to play some, like we said earlier, recreational competition. So there's points and prizes on offer, but at the end of the eight weeks, you know, everyone goes home and shakes hands and you're not going to end up in centre court. To do that, go to localtennisleagues.com and you can just search via your postcode. However, like I said earlier, maybe that is even a step too far. And I don't want people to think that it's either sitting on the sofa or playing some competition because there's so much in between where you can go and do nothing to do with the LTA. Go and find a friend, find a court, get an orange or a green ball. doesn't have to be anything fancy and just go and have a hit at your park. That is so much fun. Go and play paddle, do some tennis cardio, get some intro lessons on Tennis Express, most of which is like nothing to do with air quotes, proper tennis. So there's so much you can do before you even think about playing for points or any of that. And I would urge everyone, whatever your level is, just go and have go and have a hit at whatever you think you'll enjoy because most likely you will enjoy it. And if that's as far as you go, then brilliant, like we've won. Just stay there and have a fantastic time for the next however many years. And if you want to do other stuff, it is out there. But, you know, you need to be up for it. Yeah, I certainly had a great time. I played paddle recently, brought a few mates who hadn't really played tennis for a few years and they absolutely loved it and uh, are still playing it. So, yeah, I certainly agree. Listeners, if you just want to get out there, just just go and do it. And uh, we'll make sure to put a link in the description to Local Tennis League. So if you do want to sign up, get a membership, get into the Wimbledon ballot um, for next year, we'll make sure to put the link in the description. But for now, Paul, thanks so much for taking the time to come on to the show. It's been really, really interesting. I've loved hearing about kind of the strategy and the future um, for tennis in the UK. It's been really, really uh, exciting having you on. So uh, thanks for taking the time out of your day (laughs) to, uh, to talk to us. Thank you both. It's been really enjoyable. Listeners, remember to subscribe to Tennis Weekly on whatever device you listen to us on. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all major podcasting platforms out there. You can also listen to us on the DownloadTennis.com app. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And you can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Tennis Weekly Pod. So do give us a like and a follow if you don't already. Um, you can also email us via tennisweeklypod at gmail.com. Um, you can check out our website as well, www.tennisweekly.co.uk. And we will be back next Monday at Tennis Weekly HQ for our latest tour catch up. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from me and Kim and we will see you again soon.